it had whammies, like actual whammy. Okay. But it was like a thing. It had like this board on it, and the people would sit there with their buzzer. And the, I don't know if they had to answer a question or something, but you, they would go around and you hit the buzzer, and you need to get a prize or a whammy. <laughs> a whammy. Yeah, so, oh yeah, my goodness. And they'd have like, okay, you got three more tries. Do you want to risk your $10,000 possibly getting a whammy? Or not? <laughs> and it's like, okay. Well, anyways, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we talk about all things antique and collectibles, and we are so excited today. And we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC, with two locations, one just outside of Oklahoma City in Bethany, Oklahoma, at Rink Gallery, one in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia, at Oldies But Goodies Antiques. We also have an online store on Etsy called Hip and Humble Antiques on Etsy. If you are not all about driving, then go ahead and check that out. If we don't have something at the moment, I promise we will soon. Something that you want at the moment anyways. We, we may, are. We may have something that you don't know that you want. That is 100% true. Yep, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And we are also supported by the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. Thank you guys so much for having us on this network. This is an awesome network. If you guys are not familiar with it, it is a national uh, online radio network. And there are tons of different shows on here for different people. Um, it's a wonderful resource, especially if you're in the singles community. And, uh, other well, community. The singles community. There's, um, a man on there that deals with a lot of veterans issues. Correct. The veterans community as well. Yep. So yeah, please, if you guys haven't, check out any of the other shows on this network. Um, and I just want to start off by saying that this topic today is colorful. Transparent. Transparent. <laughs> Transparent is a good way to say it too. It's a transparent topic. You know, there are many things throughout history that people have looked through. In order, in order, We're looking through the looking glass. Lo- looking through the green looking glass. Well, there's a there's a little there's a game. Uh, it's a kind of a, a word play game that uh, a lot of kids like to play on like church camp buses and things like that called what do you see through the green looking glass and there's many different versions of it i don't know that game and i've been on a lot of church buses growing up well i it, maybe it was uh something of, made it up. no something of my generation maybe i guess so. i guess but anyways basically the game is a play on words and two people have an understanding of you know what the word is it'll say like you know through the green looking glass i see playful puppies and then the next person will say, uh, through the green looking glass, I see, um, colorful koi fish and, you know, ba- uh, so it's like sent first letter, first letter. Right. But, but it'll alter, you'll change it. Like maybe, maybe someone will, will say, but, but, but it's that concept. Yeah. It, it's that concept. Well, well, there will, well, there will be, there will be two or there will be a pattern of some kind in the next phrase that, that you say through the green looking glass. And then it takes, basically you keep going around until everyone figures out what the, what the common pattern, uh, pattern is. And yeah, we didn't do words. that. We sang fun songs like Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. 
when we sang songs like that, but not not as much into or the church on top of the hill, the church on top of the hill, a church, a church, a church on top of the hill. Speaking of church on top of the hill, we are talking about stained glass. That's right. Yeah, lots of beautiful, beautiful churches with stained glass. Absolutely. Well, some of the most Beautiful, fame, the most famous stained glass windows are actually in churches like the As, the Augsburg Cathedral that was built in the late 11th century. Christ of Wissenberg built late in the 11th century. The uh, Chartres Cathedral built in the 13th century. The Saint Chapelle, the mid 13th century cathedral. The York Minster, 15th century cathedral. The King Arthur and Sir Lancelot cathedrals built in 1862. Frank Lloyd Wright's stained glass window. That's not a cathedral, but that is one of the most famous stained glass windows. And the Brown Memorial Church, built in 1915, also has one of the most famous stained glass windows. But there are beautiful churches with stained glass windows. I I know, like, traveling through England and Scotland and stuff in the small, small towns, Mm -hmm. they have beautiful churches, and they're like little hidden gems. Oh, absolutely. The craftsmanship just, I mean, in the stained glass windows is phenomenal, but even just the craftsmanship and the stone and the masonry and the work in them. It, it, they're just works of art, really. I mean, the this particular – so obviously the majority of our perspective, you know, both of our perspectives about so many pieces in history, all the pieces real, realistically that we've covered is, you know, we found them to be artistic in one way or another because oh, yeah. because they are. You know, anytime we're talking about an artisan good – or, or something of, of the accord that is made by a, by a singular person, it can absolutely be interpreted as an art. Whether- I think a lot of times though, we, there's like two categories really mm-hmm. of kind of antiques that we have. We have antiques that are in the practical category. Right. Um, you know, we have Pyrex, which I don't really consider that much of an antique, but you'll find it in antique shops like Pyrex and, um, like oh, the KitchenAid kitchen, mixer. KitchenAid, and- you know, that kind of stuff. And then you have furniture and stained glass, and you have um, architectural. Well, um, and, and I think it's it's interesting. That's artistic. Absolutely, and I think it's interesting too because a lot of the uh, a lot of those things that we were talking about the 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 first the former of those two categories they're very much kind of tools. There are, and you know, it's kind of hard though to separate sometimes because like butter molds are practical. Yes, they were used. But they're beautiful. They were, were hand-carved. Yes. Um, they really put a lot of personality into them and just regionally. And, you know, they mo- mostly come from the Amish um, groups, Amish people, uh, Mennonite and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, you know, they have their own unique design and artistic flair to them. But they're practical. Absolutely. And I think that uh, it's in- that brings up an interesting point to me. Uh, I, I think a lot of the antique tools that we would consider artisan or artistic a lot of those tools nowadays the reason that they are antiques is because they've been innovated to the point where they are specifically tools you know right like they're not as artistic like a butter mold nowadays is not as is not artistic well they don't really have butter molds anymore. that's what i I mean mean, they have cookie presses and stuff like that but people don't make their own butter very not many people a lot of people do but not many people make their own butter yeah a lot of people meeting a lot of the Amish people well just anybody in general i mean you know i don't really know a whole lot of folks anybody that make their own butter no although i would be interested to do learn how to do that 
Well, I can teach you that. I mean, yeah. it's not hard to make butter. It's just, you know, time yeah. consuming. Well, because, uh, you know, I mean, this is, uh, we're going way off on a tangent here. And we understand. But, uh, Catherine and I were thinking about if we were to, to get a house with some land, I would get some goats and see if I could make goat butter, like butter out of goat milk. I want you to get fainting goats. I want fainting goats more than certain things. I, I, I want fainting goats. I really want fainting goats. I feel that's something we need in our life. I really do. I think fainting it's essential. Goats and chickens. Oh, I absolutely. Chickens. chickens are, chickens are essential. I don't know about the goat milk though, but. Yeah, I feel I don't like. drink milk. So. I feel like goat butter would be good though. I don't know. Goat cheese. Goat cheese is good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We are yeah. going to have to do a kitchen kitchen time to figure stuff out Mm -hmm. well today we're the homeschooling never stops it never does for either one of us i learn as much as they do yeah yeah well i i mean i wouldn't know that side of it obviously but well you've taught kids i have taught kids and kids absolutely have taught me so much yeah so it goes both ways absolutely absolutely that's the best kind of relationships is whenever you have a teacher that teaches but also learns. Yeah. And uh, speaking of learning, learning about the origins of stained glass is actually fantastic. Guess where stained glass came from? China. Ooh, good guess. Very close. <laughs> Very close. What's the other one? Spain. No, 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 France. no. Think more Egypt. Or Think Egypt. Egypt. It came from Egypt. I got it. <laughs> I meant to say more ancient, but yes. Ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt. So the origins of the stained glass are not, they're not entirely certain, but ancient Egypt were probably the first people to discover glass while making their vessels. And the oldest examples of man-made glass are Egyptian colored glass beads that, uh, the, those particular beads were dated around 2700 BC. Wow. Yeah. So stained glass, stained glass windows. I wonder, wonder why they made them. I imagine that. Uh, so actually, the process of making stained glass is interesting, right? But I mean, I wonder why. Well, well I'm explaining. Oh, okay. So the process of making stained glass is interesting, right? There's basically you add imperfections into the glass. So I think making stained glass originally was basically the mistakes. mistakes. Uh, at least to me that would make more that would make sense yeah. because it's it's a lot easier to make stained glass to make a mistake, to make yes, a mistake. <laughs> yeah to make stained glass than it is to make very clear glass if you are working you know with dirty materials and back then they didn't have a lot of the cleaning processes sure, that sure. we do now so i think absolutely that the mistakes that they quote unquote mistakes were what sparked that art yeah in the beginning well and it's probably just like you know most people do today or a lot of people do today. Okay. I made a mistake. What can I do with it now? Right. Well, absolutely. You know, I think, I think repurposing is one of man's greatest gifts. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's so many, there's so many things that you, even little things that come in these obnoxious packages that some of these companies put their items in, you know, it's like, do I need a, a, a box the size of uh, my inner thigh to house one pen? I don't, I don't understand that. I don't and get I, it. I mean, I've heard people that are like, oh, well, they do that because people steal things. I'm like, well, if you have something that small and you're selling it, put it behind glass and then do it one at a time. Like, you should be a good salesman. But it's like buying you guys toys for Christmas, yeah. holy crap. It takes 30 minutes just to get, you know, one little thing out of a Oh, absolutely. Well, because they got those twist ties. They got the little, you know, you got rubber bands there's so many things to put these little toys inside these boxes 
It's like, you know, by the time you get it out of the box, you're so, it's like, I don't even want to play with it anymore. No, it's like, I'm, geez, I'm tired. But, you know, these companies are like, oh, I donate all this money to the environment and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's great that you do that. However, let's look at your product packaging. Mm-hmm. Where can we possibly help the environment by not putting all that crap in it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I love a lot of these locally sourced stores that are coming up yeah. in, in def- different kind of artisan type uh, stores that are po- popping up, and that's why one of the reasons I really love antique stores. I mean, one of the you know reason five hundred million three hundred two that I love <laughs> antique stores is because you know all of these items. First of all, they're not packaged, no, so you can get to them. You can get to them. They're also repurposed. You know, by definition, they're all repurposed. You're you're even if you're reusing it for its original purpose, you're still they're still repurposed. Well, or we have we have right now down at the um, downtown shop in Fredericksburg an ironing board. It's a it's an antique ironing board that uh, one, an artist friend of my mom's um, I bought from him because uh, they were selling their house and blah blah blah. Anyway, I bought a bunch of stuff, but this I really like. It's an antique ironing board that he turned into a little mini bar. Oh, yes. So, he, yeah. Yeah. He, he kind of covered the top, put some little um, nice kind of metal trim, metal work kind of around the lip of the ironing board, and then attached a small wine rack underneath of it. Yeah. I thought, you know, that is really neat. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen people, they use these antique ironing boards as like entryway tables or, you know, just decorative, whatever. I thought... That's really a, a unique way to repurpose, you know, one of these really pretty ironing boards. Absolutely. So, you know, there's always an – I always like seeing how other – what ideas other people come up with with those kind of things. So even a lot of the antique furniture and stuff, they repurpose for a lot of other, you know, different things. Actually, I've got a table in there in the workroom now that most likely was a French desk. Yeah. And somebody cut a hole in it and made it into a sewing table. Yeah. And I'm like, that is a wonderful repurposing. Now, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I would have taken the desk. Yeah, I would have too. But boy, that is really unique to have a no, absolutely French it is sewing table that just you don't see those. You definitely don't. And I think that that is a testament one to your own personal style and taste, and also to the importance of individuality when it comes to pieces. Oh, yeah. Creati- well, you know, it's kind of one of those things, um, and everybody kind of has their own thing. And, and of course, we, us being military, it was always kind of hard for me to, you know, understand. I mean, I understand it, but, you know, people will go in and they're decorating their home, and they're, like, decorating their home, where, you know, we couldn't really ever do that because we couldn't buy a piece of furniture that would fit beautifully in this room. Because I'm only going to have this room for a year or two. And right. And I'm gone. Well, so. absolutely. And, I, I, you know, that's something that I myself have been so, so grateful to be able to kind of design my rooms and my home to kind of fit how I'm feeling with whatever furniture that we're getting. You know, the my downstairs was it, it, before we flooded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a poor kid. I went through a flood. <laughs> yeah, before we flooded, you know, the downstairs, it really, it looked exactly how I wanted it to look. And like it had the nice wood table, the nice long wood coffee table, the beautiful couches and everything kind of set up with photos and the nice, you know, it, it just looked very professional and in but homey at the same time and that you know that's my own unique style uh take if you guys are looking for interior design tips hit me up on instagram (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, no, but I, you know, it is something I'm, I'm whole, I'm woefully interested in. I, I, I do love interior design and I have quite an, an, a huge respect for interior designers. I think that a lot of that stems from the fact that there was so much that you wanted to do. There's so much that you and well, I wanted to do, but, it, but th- we think- couldn't do it as much. So we had to innovate. Well, we did. And it, it was kind of one of those, um, we lived in, in a lot of different homes and a, and a lot of different parts of the country. And every country has its own special flair kind of flavor, I guess, Absolutely. that area. But one thing that, um, you know, I think we always, the thing when, when you're military is you can buy a home or live in base housing one way or the other, but you always think resale. As soon as you buy something or you're in base housing or whatever, buying a house, it's always resale. Base housing, it's like don't damage the house at all. Yeah. Period. Yeah. But I still don't want it to look like I'm living in, you know, an insane asylum that's all white. <laughs> so you do you do have to creatively come up with a lot of things to kind of bring life and color into everywhere that you live without damaging the house or right. you know, completely, you know, color this room purple and green or something because nobody's going to buy a room or very very few people are going to buy you know a funky colored room they want neutral and so they can put their own stamp on whatever but so we did come up with a lot of different uh different things that we could decorate with um and make it our home but yet we didn't i mean it wasn't going to stay that way and the other part that's nice is from this house to this house to this house my kids grew up so at house number one, that was a nursery. That was all me. House number two, Aaron was into cowboys. We had a cowboy room. Yeah. House number three, Aaron was not in cowboys anymore. You know, so, I mean, it was kind of, in one way, it was kind of nice because it kind of seems like every little age or whatever break of my kids, we were in a different house. So the whole thing got decorated completely different. Although I will say one consistent theme that followed us through a lot of different houses is and especially in sunrooms is we've always had an affinity for stained glass yeah we have i have two beautiful pieces upstairs i kind of have like an open hallway to the living room kind of thing two really pretty pieces upstairs. absolutely because they are beautiful and it's interesting to think about where they came from and back to what we were talking about before we were talking about when stained glass was actually invented of course the colored glass was invented or at least discovered i guess you would say in ancient egypt the evidence of stained glass windows in churches and monasteries in britain uh, can be found as early as the seventh century so that was kind of when stained sheet glass mm-hmm. was more prevalent was it around the seventh century the earliest known reference uh, historically to stained glass dates from 675 AD when excuse me Benedict by uh, Biscop imported workmen from France to glaze the windows of the monastery of St Peter so I, I just I think it's very interesting to think about I, I like those references in history when you can find throughout history the different times that specific items or tools were used and I, and, I, and it dates those dates oh, yeah them, you know definitely. what I mean definitely and another thing I think is interesting is um, the stained glass and these different things were used in churches in monasteries in places they of became worship. they became Christian symbols they became Christian symbols but even maybe even I mean obviously if you have a church it's already a Christian symbol but but they thought enough of these places or they put money into these places because that was the place that the town came 
yeah. the people congregated and all that versus people's homes. People's homes didn't have that. Well, so it, it served as, as, so it, it served as a distinction. Yeah. So stained glass windows, they were important. They were important functionally with respect to the congregation's understanding of religion. They told stories. Right. During the Middle Ages, most people, other than scholars and religious folks, political leaders and so on, they couldn't read. Yeah. So to understand these biblical truths and stories, a lot of these were printed onto the stained glass because that was the first visual representation uh, you know, it's basically like a visual aid for right. for what they were trying to teach, or I guess, yeah. But depending on how you look at it, because we could go into a whole theology lesson here, but we're not going we're to. We're not going to do yeah. that. But yes, yeah, so stained glass—they served, they were functional, and that they were a symbol of a symbol and an understanding of religion uh, for people and biblical a, principles, a biblical and principles and teachings in a time where people didn't or were not as. Literate. Literate, yeah. Yep. That's true. Well, and, you know, I think also when you go to that much effort to to make this beautiful artistic representation of Christ or um, or one of the different uh, parables or, or whatever they pulled out, you know, that uh, that that's big. You know, you don't you don't make a stained glass window of a ball, you know, right? Because that's not all that exciting, right? But you know, they took time to really think this through and to plan it out and to put the effort into it. And we will talk more about that right after our break. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. And... Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about stained glass. And before we get started again, excuse me, we just wanted to talk about our sponsors, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. If you're not following us on Instagram, first of all, why aren't you? Second, please do. It's hipin.humble. That's H-I-P-N dot humble on Instagram. Also, if you like what we're doing and you want to at least leave us a tip or maybe start supporting us, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash hipandhumble. We appreciate everything that you guys give us and anything you guys give us goes right back into the podcast. We are definitely due for some new gear coming up here soon. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's true. But anyways, yes, please, if you really like what we're doing, please consider supporting us. Any little bit help, helps, even just a dollar. A dollar is great. I can do a lot with a dollar. That's true. Mm-hmm. Very true. And we also want to thank the WGSNDB Going Solo Network. Thank you guys again. Also, if you guys are not familiar with this network, please go ahead and check out all their other programs and all of the wonderful things that they do. The producer of this national web radio station is fantastic she always 
employers, employees, really great people who have really great ideas. And it's a lot of fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. And, and probably there's some ideas and stuff with a lot of the people that may challenge you in your daily life. So absolutely, absolutely. Check that out. And, you know, don't be offended. Look at, you know, different opinions and take them in, examine it, think about it and absolutely. Uh, grow from it. I've been reading this book recently called The Coddling of the American Mind, and I I think it is one of the most essential reads for at least my generation. Yeah, I would say that. And uh, I, I, I definitely think that it, it hits the nail on the head really culturally with uh, the reason that so many people are – not able to challenge themselves intellectually without becoming so emotionally overwhelmed. Well, I, you know, I can't really say a lot because, you know, you guys are a product of us. But, I mean, I know growing up and stuff, you know, I grew up with parents that were, you know, born, what, World War II. Right. Um, you know, so they, they went through that. They know, they know what rations, they know, um, they went through the civil rights movement. They went through, you know, they've seen so much, so, so many advances. And even in my lifetime, I mean, so many advances. You know, we didn't have the microwave was invented, you know. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the Well, and, and, when you, and when you say advances, you're not just talking, I mean, not just technological advances, but cultural advances. Yeah, cultural advances, you know, also. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because you're absolutely right. Within the last hundred and hundred 150 years so much has changed culturally that it is allowed for this so quote quote unquote coddling i think a lot of the the cultural really does go hand in hand though with invention well absolutely i mean that's the whole point of this podcast is is understanding the importance and significance of the tools and the materials that they used at the time and how it influenced their culture but i i think kind of the i don't know maybe difference is is uh, really there hasn't been a lot of inventions in the last twenty odd years? I mean, there's been there's been a lot, but there's well, not. Well, I would any, say we, you can't say you that. didn't go to the moon. You know, I mean, you, you not at that level. You didn't. You haven't gone. You didn't figure out how to get to the moon. I mean, we've been to the moon, but you weren't the first ones. You know, I mean, well, we got the you know we got the ISP, the International Space Station. We're you know we're we, we're at Elon's we plans to go to Mars. We've laid the foundations for, but. There just hasn't been that level of, I don't know. There's not. There hasn't been anything I can think of really that I go, oh my gosh, this generation is, you know, this point in time will help characterize this generation. Well, I think you know, I I think that is an argument to be made because with those with those events specifically, especially things like the moon landing and things like that, those were global phenomena. And that's what I'm saying. And I think that's I, I I get what you're saying now. So and you're right. you're right. So there there hasn't been that global like the Every, the closest thing to a global mindset, and that's something that's been called in our generation thus far is they they talked about it being the Game of Thrones season finale. Uh, well, the, the Game of Thrones, season, but but no, I'm but, saying. Well, but, but what I'm saying is is kind of our generation really, you know, they were they were almost really more globally minded. And involved in a lot of that than now. Now people are very self-centered, very, very – their world is very narrow. Well, and I think a lot – I think that has to do a lot with the fact that the communication is so much easier now. I think that because all you of those – Exactly. Because all of those lines of communications and the – basically the things that were stopping 
your generation from talking to somebody in China or, you know, so on, A, B, C, and D, those things have been, those barriers have been, have been knocked down. They have been knocked down, but then I also have to wonder, okay, if, like when I was in school or something, if you wanted to bring an idea in from, from China, let's just say, or from wherever. Yeah. You really would, the, whoever was in charge would go and find the best and the brightest of whatever topic that they would be talking about. And they would pay for them to physically come here and give a lecture or give a talk about whatever it is. Yeah. They wouldn't podcast. They wouldn't just, you know, go, we're going to zoom it or whatever. They physically had to put in time to find this person, interview them, research them, talk to them, and then put money into it to bring them over here and then do. I mean, Whereas, they still do that. But I don't know as you're going to get the level of person well, okay. or expertise. So, on I, so, so I understand what you're saying in that the there amount just, of work that goes into that then right. is so much more than the amount of work that goes into this now because it is so much easier to look someone up. It's so much easier well, to... and it's even like the printed word. Now, to, to have the printed word, you would have to write a book. You had to be in the newspaper. You had to, you know, but there were like all these different levels of um, publication that had to go through and all that. Nowadays, anybody, you know, you can have a blog. Well, I mean, anybody, anybody can say anything and be famous for 25 minutes on Twitter. You know, that anybody can say anything under 150 characters and get their five minutes of fame. That's right. You know, I I do think that that has desensitized information a considerable amount. And I think that has led so much more to emotive based learning. You know, people, people are learning with their emotions. They're feeding into their emotions. They're basically, their emotions over everything. Right. And, and Well, I don't think our generation really – we didn't do that. It was more, okay, you know Well, what? I wouldn't say that. I mean there – But we got, we got it done. We didn't – we weren't coddled. I mean that was kind of the thing. We were not coddled to the degree that you guys have been coddled. Yeah, so I, I, agree, I agree with you. But I will say that one thing the book did point out is every generation does say that the generation after them is coddled. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like your parents absolutely oh. thought you were coddled. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And, you know, I look back at like at my dad's life growing up. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness. I mean, they had, what, two-bedroom house. Yes. There were 12 kids. Now, granted, not all of them lived the same place. The girls got the indoor bedroom. The boys were out on the porch. Yeah. Winter, spring, summer, rain, snow, sleet. That's where they slept was in a screened-in porch. Yeah. I got a bedroom with a bed and a roof over my head and no screen. Yes. That is, I mean, you know, my, to my dad, that that was coddling. Absolutely. Nowadays, it's expected. Yes. You know, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my parents look at where they were and the trials and, and pain and uh, – poor being just being that poor to where that they were now absolutely they thought we were coddled now i don't think though that between you me and you that you that there really is that much of a difference no no as far as that but i do think because we had parents that really did go through um just a lot of horrible situations i mean world war ii and uh, Vietnam. Vietnam, and, yeah. Yeah, but these were also, and, I, and we've been through war since then. I mean, yes. I, I'm, you know, 
believe me, I'm right definitely. Off, I mean, we're not discounting any, any anybody that's been through a war has been through a war. Well, and and your dad included. So, Absolutely. You know, I, he's upstairs now, recovering from surgery from you know 25 years in the military. Right. So foot reconstruction. So ow, but but uh, you know the wars we fight today are, are so very different than what they were then. Well, and that's I mean that's another point that I've read about in different history books where people have talked right. about. The, the the difference between World War One and World War Two and World War One specifically was the you know supposedly the war to end all wars and whenever it, whenever it it began that was what it was named and that was the first world that was the first war first of all that involved that many countries second of all that had that many deaths because up to that point the technology that people had to the, in guns and in ammunition and weapons was not uh, as advanced. You know, whenever World War One came around, they, that's the first time they had machine guns. It is. That's the first time they had you know A, B, C, and one D. One of the biggest differences, though, is um, media. Oh, one hundred percent. Media, media is the bit one of the I think the biggest difference. I mean, there was always some kind of publication going on with every war that there was. There was always you know a newspaper reporter or whatever, but. You know, when uh, – was it Desert Storm? Yeah. I want to say it was one of the first ones where they had cameras out there, Uh you know, recording whatever. Now, I will say, you know, just through the grapevine and whatnot, I learned (laughs) – I learned very quickly, and they told us very quickly whenever my husband started flying, don't believe what you see on CNN. And CNN was the only one at the time. Yeah. Because a lot of times they stage it, which, I'm sorry, media is always – they're, they're there to sell things. They're there to, you know, they say they're there to inform. They're there to get your money. The end. And that's well, what they that's, do. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what media is in a capitalist society. That's, that's just all it is. It and is. I think, but, I think what's interesting too, especially with my generation, is they, the distrust in the media. Because what, whenever you were coming up, and especially in like Nana and Papa's generation, the news was, that was law. I mean that that was all that was the information they got. Well, that was yeah. So I think a lot of times, well, even then, it was still to sell. It was to sell the newspaper. Well, no, absolutely. But I'm saying it was as a whole, it was trusted more. It was trusted more. But there is something about when you put something in writing, yeah. you better be right. Yes. Because you can say, oh, you know, okay, I did an interview with whatever. Um, oh, but you know what? That really wasn't what I meant. And I mean, you can hem haw back on your words when it's an oral interview. Well, and I mean, people do that in writing too. They do, but not, they don't get away with it as much. Well, but then it's, it's, it's easy to refer to whenever you're referring to, I guess, the mistake, the literary mistakes or inconsistencies, I'll say. Yeah, inconsistencies. But, you know, it was, there's just such a, I mean, that aside, I think pretty much everybody at this point knows media is out for themselves. You know, they very rarely inform us of anything unless it's a natural disaster because you really can't screw that up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know. Well, you can, you definitely can't screw up the natural, natural disaster, but you can sway the response however you want. Sure. Oh, well, you know what? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. And that's a whole nother thing. But. Anyway, well, I, I just I think that there there was just such a I don't from my dad's generation, um, I think because they did see so much of that death and there was just so much of so much of that, and we've seen a lot of that, but it I don't know it almost wasn't as I don't know as raw I guess. Well, I think I think it's it, almost expected at this point. 
Well, you I, see what I'm saying? So I it's a, prom- a mystery though back then because you, you know, you knew they were in Vietnam or they were in World War II or whatever. Um, and you heard the stories and you would see the films or whatever, but there was still just something that, you know, that we didn't understand. I mean, we didn't even understand the Holocaust and that they were actually being prisoners because of the propaganda the Nazis were putting out. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, to have the wool over your eyes is really just not that far fetched. Absolutely. I mean, cause we didn't know. Absolutely. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, I think we're, because of those experiences, we become more skeptical. But then, you know, kind of get to your generation where they're, they either believe everything wholeheartedly, they hook, line, and sinker, or they don't. Well, I mean, and that goes, that, that philosophically, there's a term, you know, looking through, looking at life through rose colored glasses. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think that you're absolutely right. There's, there's, there's people. Yes, that was true. You're either looking through life, looking at life through rose colored glasses, or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that culturally, at least American culture, has made it so much easier to look through that those rose colored lenses. Oh yeah. Because Definitely. because everybody you know, everybody wants to feel good. Nobody wants to be hurt. But at the same time, you know, a sand a, a wood wood doesn't become smooth without sandpaper. This is true. You're not going to learn unless you're challenged. You're not going to grow unless you experience pain. Joy wouldn't feel so good if it weren't for pain, to, to quote 50 Cent. Well, and that's true. But then I will say whenever that pain comes to a lot of these kids nowadays, they – It's a shock. It's a shock, and they don't know how to handle it. That's the other thing, too. Because they have been coddled. You know, they've been – everybody's equal. Everybody – you know, there's participation trophies all over the place. Well, and that's the thing is everybody's not equal. And they're not, but, but I, you know, people, people of, have people, some people have advantages. Other people don't. It's how, it's how, it's, it's how, how it's how it's, it's it. the response. Exactly. But, but in the I, attitude, but I think that that's kind of one of the biggest, biggest differences and, you know, probably biggest detriments to, to this generation right now is the fact that they don't know how to handle a lot of the, dis, uh, a lot of disappointment. And a lot of them are truly shocked when they get out in that world and people don't care. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that that's, that's something that, that has come to my attention so much lately it, with a lot of different arguments people oppose like, oh, well, you know, you should do this. You should do this because it benefits other people. And it's like, well, okay, you're right. I should do that because it benefits other people. But at the same time, I don't expect you to do something just because it benefits me. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't expect someone to do something for me. Here's the difference though. You've had a mother, that would be me, the mean one, that that made you do for yourself. You know, we, you guys didn't have computers to look every little thing up. No. You didn't have any of that. We actually had to go to the library or we went, we went to the source and figured it out. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was, I mean, that, that was a beautiful thing about homeschooling is we were able to go to the, you know, if we were looking up about the Holocaust, we could go to the Holocaust Museum. Well, and that's it. And I I think that's the big difference though is, you know, that's what we had to do with everything growing up. Yeah. You know, it wasn't at our fingertips. We physically had to make the effort to go physically and do it we had to put in our money we had to put in our time you know we had to make make room in our life to get the information that we needed i think and i think that there's i think that there's i think that there's huge value in that because it creates an because it creates an impression it creates an impression but 
Yeah, there is. I mean, it does create value, and it makes you think of your time as being valuable. And I think a lot of times it's not a bad thing not to have time to sit on your phone. Or Absolutely. Whatever. You know, I, I think that so much of quote unquote free time that people have that they spend on their devices or their phones or whatever. And, you know, granted, I do all the time. I'm on my phone all the time. I, I and, get and it. And I'm not. And I will say that my son over here is like, Mom, I texted you. Mom, did you get this? Mom, not. and I'm like, no, I didn't. I did not. I don't even know where my phone is. <sighs> And see, that would be the response I get is the deep sigh of irritation of, I do not believe that your electronic leash is not around your neck, mother. Well, it's like, why would you have the phone if you're not going to answer it? It's like, I I'm, I'm your I'm son. What more, what more important things do you have than I to answer not, my call? I do not have anything else more important than my children and my husband. However, sometimes I, I can't hold the phone and do things. You can, you have pockets. Yeah, not all time. Okay. Well, okay. guys, we have gone off on a huge tangent, and Aram we are. Just, Aram just does stuff. Uh, that's what it is, and we didn't really get to talk about stained glass very much at all. But we are will. out of time. We will talk about stained glass uh, here next week, and we get, gave you kind of like a like a a, pre, a prelim, if you will, of stained glass. But we will definitely get more into it next week. Sorry for sorry for going off, but I think that this really did give a good perspective on kind of where we're coming from in our different perspectives as far as general general generationally speaking. Well, yeah, it definitely does. And like I said, Aaron may not always understand what it is I'm saying, but some of y'all that are my age do. <laughs> well, and and you and, may and not and understand I what I and the and vice versa is true. It's vice versa is true, and I will say of my generation, a lot of times we are not tolerant of. Of our kids, really, you know, it, which is sad because we're the ones that produced them. But well, I, I and I, and that's that. that's a whole other point too. I I've heard this argument that your generation will not relinquish the keys to us, so to speak. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Well, I I've not heard that, but I can see that. You know, because it's kind of expected culturally that you know one generation. Uh, in political power specifically from one generation to another, they say, okay, well, this generation and you know, you've had, you guys have had power for 30 years. Okay. So now that we're coming up, now you're going to have to give the keys to us. Well, you, some of them have had longer that we're not in my generation. Yeah. Well, I'm saying nothing. even that generation is not, that generation is not going to give up the keys. Oh, no, no, I'm pretty sure they're going to the grave with they're the gonna, keys. Yeah. They're going to go to the grave with the keys. <laughs> but anyways, not to get too not to get too political or whatever. No, we do not want to do yeah, that. Yeah, we, we do not want to become one of those podcasts. <laughs> there are there are enough of those. That's true. Very yeah. True. But guys, thank you guys so much for sticking with us and having fun. And we love you. Stay hip. And humble. Alright, bye. bye.